It's good to see you guys. You ready to talk about prayer? So, <laughs> you're gonna clap. We, uh, we're in the middle of this series called the Lord's, or not called, it's called Amen. And it's looking at the Lord's Prayer. And I wanna be really honest with you. And just let you know, for me, prayer has been something that I've really, really struggled with in terms of Christianity, in terms of what it means to be a person who follows Jesus, have a relationship with God. Prayer has not been an easy thing. I'm a person who sometimes spends too much time in my head. And so there's a part of that that's been difficult. And yet in recent years, and I don't even know how long recent means, but just at some point in time, it became something really special for me. And so I wanna share some of that with you guys today because it can be complicated. You know, if I were to look at each of you and say, do you think when it comes to having a relationship with God, following Jesus, being a Christian, whatever way I wanted to phrase this, that prayer is important, most of you are gonna go, yeah. Even if you don't pray very much, even if it's not even something you do regularly, there's just a part where you're probably going to say yes. And so what no one needs is a sermon that convinces them that prayer is important. There's just the piece of this where we all kind of know like, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think it's an important thing. So why are we doing this four-week series? Why are we talking about this? And why are we looking at the Lord's Prayer where Jesus actually says, this is how you should pray. And it, for me, it's this. It's because prayer is kind of confusing. And maybe you're a person in here who is saying, I've never really felt confused about prayer. I feel really good about it. I'm gonna let you know that there's probably a part of this message that's not gonna resonate very strongly for you. But I'm gonna also let you know that there's somebody sitting next to you or around you that knows exactly what that's like. And this message is a great encouragement to them and it can be through you and build understanding amongst all of us. Either way, I hope each of us find a way to deepen our understanding, deepen our heart for prayer and see something really beautiful in it today. You know, I remember growing up, there was one time in particular, and I don't mean one instance, there was just always one scenario where I knew, okay, it's time to pray. And it's right before you went to eat. Seth shared this last week, talked about this a little bit last week, and man, do I resonate with that. It was always right before you go to eat because before you start shoveling food in your mouth, you're supposed to pause and you're supposed to get everybody together and you're supposed to pray. And that moment's supposed to happen. This is kind of what I learned growing up, right? Because prayer was kind of a confusing thing. And I was trying to put the pieces together. Like, what is this? And you start to look at what are people doing and how does this work? If you've been praying forever, you forget what it's like to be a kid where they're going like, okay, when I go to this house, people pray this way. And when I go here and they're literally going, so what is prayer and how do I do this and figure this out? I remember clearly when I was, you know, right before you went to eat, you were supposed to pray. And that makes sense to me. It's a pretty biological fact, right? Like it's an obvious fact that like, if you don't eat long enough, you die. So there's just a part of this where it's like, okay, cool. So I should be praying. I should pause and pray and thank God for food. Thank God for nourishment and sustenance and sustaining my life and for providing and all of those things. Prayer is important. I should do that. And Though, here's what would happen. So I, I knew that piece, that made sense, but then all this other stuff would happen, right? We'd start to pray and, and it didn't matter whether it was at home or somewhere else. There was just all this other stuff that would happen. Sometimes we would suddenly start praying for everybody we'd ever met who had any ailment, like cousins, brothers, sisters, uncles, who had any possible thing. And, and the prayer would be this forever moment of like, wait, there's this massive prayer checklist and we need to do that right now. And people would start praying through that. And I remember being a kid and like opening my eyes and looking around and being like, we're all doing this, right? No, we're doing this, still doing it, still happening. And you'd start praying. Sometimes we'd pray for our city. Sometimes pray for our country. Sometimes we'd pray for our world. Sometimes we'd pray for all sorts of different circumstances around me. 
if my sister and I were ever like not behaving well and fighting with each other on a particular day, I can remember moments where my mom would pause and go, and we just pray, Lord, that you would give these children hearts to love one another and care. And I never understood whether that was a true prayer for God or whether that was like my mom putting it out there for us with God in the context so it'd have like greater weight. Do you know what I mean? Like on that particular moment, we'd pray for stuff like that. Sometimes I would hear somebody praying for something that was about something that somebody else had done. Like, you know, God, I just pray for this person and their affair or something like that. And I'd go, I don't think any of us really have any business knowing about that or talking about that. And yet it'd be this moment that you could pray for it in a prayer request. I grew up asking questions about prayer, wondering, are gossip and prayer different? Like, as long as I say, God, please help that person with that, does that mean it's okay? Like, and it's just the same, because I experienced that moment quite a bit. There were all of these different moments. Sometimes people would pause and they would start almost like delivering a sermon in the middle of a prayer where they're telling God all these things that are supposed to be true about all these moments. And it was almost like they were giving themselves a spiritual pep talk in like in front of a mirror and then including God in the process. And I would hear some of these moments. They're all these different things. Now, for me, trying to piece together, okay, so what is prayer? Like, and, and, and even more than that, how do I do this? Right? Like, how do I, like these people all seem to know how to do this. Everybody does this on default. Some of my family had like memorized prayers where we would go with certain family and immediately they'd be like, let us pray. And they'd all immediately recite the same memorized prayer out loud. And I was like, where did they learn that? Is that a thing you just know because you're part of this place? Like, what do you do? And it was all really confusing. I tried to piece all of this stuff together. Sometimes people never even said thank you for the food. And I'd wonder, what were we just doing? Can we eat this? Do we need to go back? Like, are we good? Like, how, how does that even work? There was this one time where a kid in the youth ministry was asked to pray, and, and I was not a youth pastor. I was in the youth ministry at, at this particular time, and as he was asked to pray before the meal was eaten, and he goes, dear God, make us clean so we can enjoy this food. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen. And he looks up without like thinking a thing of it and just starts to eat. And oh my gosh, did people get so angry at this kid? He got in so much trouble. I remember in that moment looking and going, okay, there's some things I shouldn't say when I'm gonna be praying, especially if other people are there because it's not gonna go well. If I'm ever asked to pray, don't be that guy, right? Like don't, don't do this particular thing. Sometimes prayer was about thanking God for food. Other times prayer was about asking for a bunch of things that we cared about for other people. Sometimes prayer was about recounting every problem a person could think of. Other times prayer seemed like a moment to deliver a sermon and other times prayer seemed like a moment to air somebody else's dirty laundry to people who had no business knowing what it was. And I sat there listening to all of this going like, it's kind of confusing. Like, what is it? And how, do, how am I supposed to do this particular thing? I was able to boil it down to this. For me, prayer seemed to be about asking God for stuff and thanking God for stuff. Like in a really simplistic way of looking at it, I was like, okay, I think that's what this thing is. You ask God for stuff and you thank God for stuff. And then I went to church and a pastor spoke and he taught on two things on this one particular day. And it totally just messed me up when it came to praying. He didn't do anything wrong. I just, it created a ton of confusion for me because he taught me about two things and I'm gonna share them with you today, not to create confusion, but just in case this is where some of you are. First thing he taught me about was this word called omnipresence. So when we say the word omnipresence, what it means, it's this theological idea that says that God is, it's this truth that we see from scripture, God is all, no, oh, omnipresence. Sorry, he is everywhere, all of the time, at the same time. That's omnipresence. So what that means is, is that God, and this will blow your minds. If it doesn't, you're doing it wrong, I promise. It, what that means is God is equally present 
now in the present as he is in the past, as he is in the future at this very moment. Like, can you wrap your head around that? I can't, but, but that's what that means. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time at the same time. Theological truth about God. So I was taught that. Second thing I was taught is that he's omniscient. That means that God knows all things. There is no piece of knowledge or understanding that God does not have access to and does not already know. He knows all of it. He is omniscient. Those are really beautiful qualities, powerful qualities about God. I heard those things and I found myself going, well, why am I praying then? Really, sincerely, this messed me up. The reason why is I was like, so wait, so God already knows everything. So if God already knows what I want and what I need before I say what I want and what I need, why am I bother say, Why do I bother saying any of this? Like, why doesn't prayer just look like, hey God, you get it right? Cool, we're cool, thanks. And, and that's the end of it. Like he are, if he already knows, why do I need to talk about it? Why do I need to say this to him? And people would look at me and they'd say, because it's important. And I'd say, okay. And I never really had that. So that thing was just wrestling around in my head. There's rolling around in my head. The other piece is if God already knows how all this is gonna shake out and he already knows what he's gonna do, what I'm gonna do, because he's both present in the future and the past and everything all at the same time. And he kind of knows how this whole thing's gonna work. Well, then why am I asking him to do something if, if he's already gonna do what he's, if it's gonna be what it's gonna be? Like, I don't get it. And so I'd find myself going, I don't, I don't really know what prayer is. I'm asking for stuff, but should I be thanking him for stuff? I think he already knows. What do I do with prayer? Do you see, for me, prayer became really confusing. Some of you are like, you need to get out of your head. I know, I do. But I wonder if some of you have ever felt that where you just have some questions about prayer and you're like, yeah, this is kind of weird sometimes or I don't always know. Or maybe somebody says, hey, would you pray for us? And you're like, no, I don't know how to do that. Other people know how to do that. Don't ask me. I don't know what it is. I don't even know what purpose it is. So for me, prayer became really confusing. Like I said, I wonder if it's ever confusing for you. It didn't make sense. And so I stopped praying altogether because I kept having these moments where I felt like this is really inauthentic. And I'd, I'd like stumble my way through a conversation with God that felt like I was forcing something and didn't know what to do. And then I just stopped for two years. Two years, I was just like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know why I would do that or what I would do. The only time I would pray is when I was in a moment where somebody was like, you need to pray for this moment right now. And I'd, okay, I guess I have to, so I'm gonna do that. But in my own prayer life and these things, I. I don't really know what to do with this. And I stopped praying altogether. And then I encountered two different passages in the Bible and they opened me back up. They changed my perspective in a really powerful way. And so I knew that I was gonna be talking with you all on this. And I thought I'd really like to share those two passages with you. And I'd love to share some of what I learned and some of what opened me back up in a way that I hope it blesses you too. If you know what it is to be confused or if you know what it is to go, wait, yeah, I, I sometimes wrestle with this or I just kind of ignore that because I don't know what to do with it. Or maybe you just haven't prayed in a long time and you're wondering, is this something I should find my way back to? Do I want to? And I wanna share some of this uh, with you in hopes that that is an encouragement uh, to you. And as Seth said last week, I hope that as we talk about all of this, I hope that we come to see that prayer isn't just something that God wants for us or from us, but that some, it's something he wants for us, right? It's not just a because I said so, so do it so that you can be obedient. There's a gift in this. There's a blessing in this. And I don't want us to miss that. I want us to see some of that. So I told you two passages. The first one is Moses on a mountain. It's Exodus chapter 32. I know that's not the Lord's prayer. The second one is, we'll get there. Exodus chapter 32. 
this is a huge passage. God had just liberated the people from the nation of Egypt. They were slaves. He sets them free and he leads them across the desert and then he brings them to the base of Mount Sinai. And he's gonna start this covenant relationship, this powerful moment with them. He's their God, they're his people. This is about to be amazing. And he says, I want you all to come up and meet me, like come up and, and interact with me, let's do this. And then at the top of the mountain, it starts storming and there's lightning. And it says that there was like an earthquake that shook the ground and the people go, that seems really intense and really scary. Moses, you're our guy. You're the one who goes and talks to God for us. Will you climb the mountain and tell us what he wants to say? We'll do it. Tell us what he wants from us, how he wants to go about this and we'll do it. So Moses goes up the mountain and he spends some time up there. He spends a very long time up there. And so imagine being all the people who saw this thing, were really scared about it. Moses is gonna go up and try to interact with God and figure out who God is. And they all gathered around the base of the mountain. And then Moses just like didn't come back for a very, very long time. And they start to go, is he dead? Is he not coming back? Did he get taken? Like, can we trust any of this? And rather than continue to just wait in that moment like they were supposed to do, they get a little unnerved. And so what do they do? They melt down all of their gold jewelry and all of the things they had with gold and they form this golden calf. And the golden calf wasn't supposed to symbolize another God. It was supposed to be a symbol of God. Like they were, they were trying to find something that wasn't this scary thing up on the mountain or whatever this was. And so they, they built of their own hands this golden calf so that they could interact and worship it. And God doesn't like that. God's not into having us worship things that we created with our own hands. There's a piece where he's God and wants us to worship him as he is and not contain him in a box in this particular way. He doesn't like this. And this is how he responds, Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse nine. And he's speaking to Moses. Moses isn't dead, all right? So if you haven't read this story, I know, I gave it away. Moses isn't dead. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Verse 10, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. This is a very intense thing for God to say. This is a pretty intense moment that he's having. This is essentially God saying, I promised Abraham that I would make a great nation out of these people and I'm looking around and this is not great. So Moses, I'm gonna be done with this and let's start building a great nation with you. Start doing that here. And then Moses does something really, really interesting. He begins to pray begins to talk to God. Exodus 32, verse 12, he says, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? And Moses says this to God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promised I will give to your offspring so that they shall inherit it forever. This is Moses essentially saying, no, God, please protect these people. Like I'm asking you, will you please protect these people, watch over them? And instead of doing that, will you continue to lead them towards the promised land that you promised to their forefathers? Moses prays, he asked God for this. And then if this next verse wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. And I mean that. If this next verse wasn't there, I wouldn't believe it. It's kind of a, a paradigm shattering verse or an earth shattering verse or a theologically unnerving, upsetting, like kind of world shaking verse. It's a big one, guys. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, it says, and this is God's response. This is what God does. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And the Lord relented of the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, in 
if that doesn't suddenly kind of shake you and go, wait, what's so earth shattering about that? It just seems like God was like, okay, Moses, and did something different. Here's, here's why. It's because you're reading it in the English. That word relented that's there is the word for, that literally means God changed his mind and did something different. That's what it says. And our English translations really struggle with this because there's all kinds of theological implications about what that might mean or not mean or all these different things. And so sometimes it says relents or sometimes it says he averted or did something different, but there's just a piece that's, that's really weird. But it's used to say, God changed his mind. There's a moment and, and here's the thing. The moment is this, Moses prayed and because Moses prayed, God changed the outcome of the situation. Moses prayed and because Moses prayed, God changed something powerfully here. How does that work? I don't know. If you're wondering like how I'm gonna answer that question, I have no idea if I'm really honest with you guys. I, I don't. I'll have to ask God at some point how this works. I, I don't know. Since God already knows everything, like, and this is what my brain does, by the way. Since God already knows everything, does that mean he already knew he was gonna change his mind because he stands aside of space and time and understands all this stuff? So his changing his mind was actually part of an original plan that God already knew, so nothing really changed because God didn't change I don't know. I'm, I'm being sincere. Like that's me trying to systematically from a theological perspective, like work this out for you. But the answer is in this particular instance, I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand that there's a lot of mystery in this particular moment that I struggle to wrap my head around. I don't know why God does what he does or why he chooses to work the way he works when it comes to prayer. But here's what I do know. And this is the piece that changed my perspective so significantly on prayer and gave me a new sense of courage and a new sense of opportunity to be like, wait, I think I wanna start praying again. Wait, maybe this means more than what I thought it was and it's this. Sometimes God uses our prayers as the medium to create change. That might sound really basic and simplistic to you. For me, it wasn't. Sometimes God uses our prayers as the medium, if you don't like that word, as the active agent, as the thing, whatever you wanna do there to create the change that he wants to make in this world. Your prayers actually matter. Sometimes it's actually your prayer that's the ingredient that God's using to affect the change that he ultimately desires. So how does that work? I don't know. Does he have to? No, he's God. Does God have to do anything? Well, why does he do it that way? Again, I don't know. I just honestly know based on what I read in the scriptures that sometimes when we pray, God uses our praise, prayers to enact the change that we hope for in this world. And that to me is a very powerful thing to take in faith. What does that mean? It means that when you see good waiting to happen around you that hasn't happened yet, when you see mercy waiting to happen around you, when you see grace waiting to become real, but it's just not, that sometimes it's actually your prayers that God uses to change that, to bring about the change that you're looking for and the change that he seeks to make in this world. It means that when there's something in this world that needs the love of God in it, it means that in the places where there is conflict and we yearn for peace and understanding, it means that in the places where there is fear and we're looking for that to be subdued and we're looking for courage and love to make its way through in those particular moments, wherever those places are, whatever it is you're observing, it's when everything feels so incredibly unjust in some way and it just feels like it doesn't make sense and you long for something different because there's beauty that needs to make its way into that situation and you look at that moment, it means that those moments are an opportunity where sometimes God uses your prayers to bring about the change he wants to make in this world. Now, here's the thing that I have to acknowledge to you. I said sometimes for a reason. That's because there's a lot of moments in the Bible, we should acknowledge this, where this doesn't happen too. 
There's moments in the Bible where somebody prays and says, God, please don't take this person whom I love, and then they die. Some of you have experienced that. There's moments in the Bible where you read about a group of people saying, please, like, I don't want this disaster to fall upon us, and yet strife and hardship still come, and it still happens. There are moments where these things occur. That's why I say sometimes God chooses to use your prayer to bring about change. But if you have allowed the fact that sometimes it doesn't happen to dishearten you in a way that you've kind of silenced your voice and wondered what's the point, the thing that I find myself thinking about at times is this. Let the knowledge that sometimes he does give you the courage and stubbornness to pray every time. Knowing in the moments when those prayers and things are answered, it's worth it. The power of that moment is, is powerful in your life. Don't quit. If you're sitting here going, but how does that work? I don't know. I just know somehow in the mystery of how God works and what he chooses to do, your prayer matters. And sometimes he uses our prayers to make the change, to bring about the change he wants to bring about in this world. So find courage and pray. If you've silenced your voice, open it up again. Stand in that place. So that's the first piece. And again, I know there's a piece where you're like, I thought you were gonna rationally explain all of this. I know, but sometimes there's a piece of mystery that we put our faith in simply because it's, I guess that's how God works. I'm gonna do this in this particular way, not as an act of obedience, but because there's a goodness and a gift in it. All right, second passage here today. And it's this, you know, the first passage helped change my perspective on prayer. The second passage helped answer some questions and reshape some things for me in a pretty big way. And as I said earlier, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6. We're gonna spend the rest of our time there if you wanna turn in your Bibles, if you're following along. Uh, do you know, and when you get to Matthew 6 and you're about to read the Lord's Prayer, which so many of us have seen on a wall or read, or some of us grew up memorizing that thing, or even if you've never memorized it, somebody starts saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, because for some reason we all remember the King James Version of that particular passage. For some reason, like lots and lots of people know this particular thing. But did you know that in Matthew 6, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus openly acknowledges the questions that so many of us wrestle with and ask when it comes to prayer, and that's the context for the Lord's Prayer? Did you know that? I didn't. I grew up being taught through the Lord's prayers, like the, here's the three Ps to prayer and here's how you should do this. But I never knew that part of this was wrestling with the questions I was wrestling with. Matthew 6, verse seven. And when you pray, Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. There it is, right there. There's that thing, there's that question that I wrestled with forever for me. Are there special phrases or words? Or is it about like we need to pray like this other person who uses all these words and really seems like an eloquent prayer? Well, no, apparently. In fact, Jesus seems to articulate that sometimes less is more and that that's okay. Okay, but what about if God already knows what I need and what I want before I ever pray it, then what's the point of uttering the words? Jesus steps in here in this particular moment. He goes, oh no, not only does God know what you want and what you need, I want you to know that God knows what you want and what you need before you pray. And I want you to trust that he knows. And in, in that manner, because you know this and because you trust that he knows that, here is how you ought to pray. And that's the context for the Lord's prayer. That's what it flows out of. Do you know that? That's where it comes from. It's wrestling with all of this. It actually flows from that moment. I used to ask these questions and I remember asking them to some church leaders and some pastors and different people as I was struggling through some of this stuff. And nine times out of 10, the answer that I got back was like, Ryan, stop worrying about it and just pray. And be like, I know, but I, I don't know. It feels weird. How does this work? Like, why, why am I doing this this way? Or why, you know, what's the purpose in this? And 
because God said so. And I'd be like, okay. And then I read this passage at one point in time. And for me, I remember reading that and thinking, oh my gosh, Jesus gets it. Like Jesus understands, and this is a great comfort of our Savior, by the way. Jesus actually understands what it's like to struggle through the unknowingness of faith. Do you know that? Jesus actually understands what it's like to go, that doesn't make a lot of sense and I don't understand how all of this works. And he openly acknowledges it and he doesn't seem super threatened by it. The concerns, the questions, the potential doubts or the curiosities that might exist there. He gets it. And then he says the Lord's Prayer. So I wanna read the Lord's Prayer start to finish with you. That occurs in Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 13. But I'm gonna start by reading out loud the second half of verse eight so that we get the context too. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse nine, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's it. When you examine the Lord's prayer, when you start to study this and you look at it, you start to realize Prayer isn't just something that Jesus uses to bring his request to God based on the personal things that he's walking through at any one given moment. But you also see this other piece to it. And this is a really important piece and I think some of us miss this. So I want you to see it. I want you to hear it today. It's this. Prayer is a regular practice that helps us recenter our life on who God is and what he wants for us. I'll say it again, prayer is a regular practice that helps us recenter our life on who God is and what he wants for us. The first half of the Lord's prayer isn't, if you look at it, none of that is Jesus going, and so Lord, as I face this, here's what I'm asking from you. Or Lord, as this is happening now in my life, I need you to change that. Or Lord, as I'm, is this obstacles here? I would like you to overcome that. Or can you make that different? The very first half of this prayer is Jesus centering himself in who God is and on what God is doing around him and on what God has for him and for this world at large. If you think about it, if, if some of that's lost on you in the language, like consider this paraphrase. I wanna paraphrase what I think Jesus is communicating in the first half of the Lord's prayer here. It's as though he says this, God, may I be reminded that you are a good father who has good things for your children. Your name is holy. You are special and sacred and respected and I come to you with reverence. You are my king and may your kingdom of which I am a citizen be established around me. You have desires and there's something you are trying to accomplish in this world and I wanna be a part of it. So let the beauty of heaven become more of my reality here on earth. See, none of that is like, man, there's this person and there's this issue and there's this thing. So much of that is this moment where Jesus pauses and he just, it's like he looks around and goes, you are the king of kings, right? You are God the father. God, as you would want things in heaven, may it be so on earth. I know that you have plans and good things you wanna do around us. And I know that I'm a part of that larger story and I want that for this place. That's so important. See, I think there's a reason he starts that way. I don't know the exact reason, I'd have to ask Jesus, but I do, I, I think there's a reason he starts that way. For me, I wonder if it's because life has a way of pulling us off center. So many of us are constantly living our own lives that it's almost like we're constantly the king of our own domain and we forget that there's a larger picture that we're a part of. And it's just easy to do that. I mean, when was the last time you faced a problem in your family or in your workplace and that problem became so all consuming that it's like there was no world beyond it. And you know, when you're like, wise brain that that's not true, but in the way that your life is existing, your emotions, your thoughts, the way your brain is spinning, you're like, but it feels that way. It seems like that. There's times where our life gets a little off center in these moments. 
And yet prayer has this way of pulling us back. Sometimes we forget that God still wants to do good in this world, around you, through you, with you as a part of it. Do you remember that? Right here and right now, do you recognize that? God doesn't just want to do good tomorrow. God doesn't just have a plan for the future. God isn't just unpacking the end times in their culture. God is actually doing something here and now and bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Not God, can you just take heaven or earth and bring it to heaven? No, what's he say? God, let's bring a little heaven. Where? To earth. And he centers himself in on that perspective. And I think he does this because it's so easy for our lives to drift off center. Right now, Glenn is on sabbatical. I think he gets back. I know he gets back end of October. Although who's to say, right? <laughs> I've been praying. Hopefully he has an amazing adventure. He's on sabbatical. I've been praying that he would be refreshed and recentered and encouraged in Christ during this time. I'm excited to see him at the end of November. Here, or at the end of October, I'm sorry. Here at the church, uh, our pastoral staff are encouraged to take a sabbatical once every five years. And it's not just like a moment where you're like, go have a good time, God, go take a vacation. There's a piece of it where a sabbatical feels like this unique privilege of saying, go recenter your life. And is there a purpose that, that you feel like God has for you? Is there something that you need in order to be a better leader and to step back in in a better way? I want you to go with great intention and a plan, do that. And you have to articulate this to somebody. I got to take a sabbatical almost five years ago now uh, where it was the end of a really unique season of my life. And I've shared this a bunch with y'all before. If you're new, it'll be the first time. But where I was in grad school and I just finished. So I graduated and my wife and I, we, we like to refer to that whole season as like, man, we survived that thing. Like that's kind of how that was. We survived that moment and we made it through. And because that's how it felt. I got to a spot in that season where my mind was so worried about the next place I needed to be and the next thing I needed to do that I started missing where I was. Have you ever had that? where there's so many things that your brain is spinning about. And you can be like this as a young person or an older person. If you're a young person, you're like, I've got a test, a final, this moment, this thing. Some of you are like, stop, it's fall break, right? But to where you can't be present because you're just so stressed and worried about the future of what might happen. Or some of us are like this in our own lives, this moment with our family, this moment in our workplace. And what about if that happens? And there's this really important thing that needs to get done. I'm stressing some of you out right now. I know, sorry, I'll chill out. But your brain starts moving. I couldn't turn my brain off. And it's like my whole world just became, the whole world just became my world in that instance. And I had insomnia like a crazy person for the first time ever. Not if you have insomnia, you're not crazy. It's just for me, it felt like a lot. And Glenn said, Ryan, you're gonna go on sabbatical. What do you, what, what's your purpose? And I remember looking at him and I said, I just wanna feel the ground beneath my feet. That's how I articulated this. And if that seems abstract to you, all that that meant was, I just wanna remember what it's like to be here instead of always worrying about the next thing. I just wanna be fully present and engaged with the people who matter most and recognize that life and God is, God's doing something here in the midst of life that he wants me to be a part of and that it's not all about securing some tomorrow or some other moment that hasn't happened yet. I said, I want that. And so here's what I did for that. I packed my family up and I took them to the middle of nowhere, Costa Rica, where, and I quote, no one will ever find us. That was my goal. I know that sounds like the beginning of like a serial killer movie. All that meant was I want to go to a place where like my phones don't matter, where there's no obligations and we're just fully present and fully with one another. And we get to just spend some time exploring what God has for us. I want to go do that. And so uh, we did. The reason why, again, because sometimes life gets off center. I went all the way to Costa Rica to try to recover and redo what prayer is actually supposed to do in our lives on a regular basis. Do you know that? Why? Because prayer is this regular practice that helps us recenter our life on who God is 
right here and right now and what he wants for it, just like we see Jesus do in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus shows us how to pray in verse 10, he says, may your kingdom come. God, may your kingdom come. The idea of the kingdom might be a little weird for us. For the Jews, it wasn't. They had hoped for this. This was commonplace. Like they knew this language. Their fathers knew, their grandfathers knew, their grandfathers' grandfathers knew. Like this was something that meant a lot to them. For us, we hear the word kingdom. And how many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, but you think of like a medieval kingdom, right? You think of the bricks and the walls and you think of armor and suits and swords and I don't know, maybe just me. But we tend not to think of ourselves as a part of a kingdom, because it just doesn't feel like it's quite how our modern world works. But I wonder if we understand it better than we think. If you're a kid or you're a student in the room and suddenly this week or next week or whenever it is you're back in school, you found out that your administration and your teachers took the week off and the kids got to run the show, would your school look differently that week? You all start laughing. You know immediately, why? Well, because their kingdom is a totally different kingdom. He's nodding his head, yes right? It's a totally different kingdom, not just for kids. If you've ever worked in a company where one boss, where your boss was changed, like somebody came in as a new boss and the boss that you had left, did everything just stay the same? It never does. Why? Because their kingdom's different and the way they operate in that kingdom and what ends up happening as a result, it's, it's just totally different, right? If the people you live with right now suddenly left for a week, and you had the entire place to yourself, would you live differently? How, many, how long would dishes stay in the sink or on the counter, right? How, would you change what you ate? Would you change how you slept? I know for me, the moment my wife leaves, I'm like, I love having this bed to myself. God is good, right? Why? Because my kingdom looks a little bit different when it's just my kingdom in this particular place. And if you're still not getting it, think of it this way. Is the kingdom of Texas different than the kingdom of California? Okay, cool. So you understand there are fundamental differences that create an operating system for how everything moves and works. Don't keep going there. Just as an example. In the same way, the kingdom of God is different. It is, the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is any place where what God really wants is really happening at any moment in time. The kingdom of God is any place where when we are there, we are experiencing what reflects the heart of the king. That's the kingdom of God. If that's still a little cloudy, let me express it this way. Have you ever had that moment when someone loved you in a way that left you speechless or overwhelmed or just so filled with awe that you didn't have words to articulate it and you didn't quite even know how to express it to somebody else, but it meant so much to you? In that moment, the kingdom of God unfolded before you became a reality around you. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you feel the weight of shame and regret or guilt and you're about to go walking into a room and you're worried about all the eyes that are gonna be upon you or you're worried about what's gonna happen or who's gonna say something and yet as you go in, you're met with grace upon grace upon grace to the point that you're a little bit overwhelmed and you're grateful. In that moment, that was the kingdom of God unfolding around you. Have you ever been around somebody that treated others with respect and dignity and compassion in a way that you so deeply admired that you didn't know what to do with it? That was the kingdom of God made known to you. Or have you ever encountered somebody that wanted good for you and loved you and you knew in your heart, not because they wanted to be seen by others as a good person, but because they just genuinely loved and cared about you. And you found yourself so thankful for that particular moment. That was the kingdom of God unfolding before you. God wants to establish his kingdom 
on earth. That's why Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Each day that I was in Costa Rica, I would spend time walking through the rainforest, this you know, crazy dense jungle and praying. And the jungle is so wild. And I mean, it's like deafening because the sound of birds and insects and all these other things, it's so loud all the time. And it's just intense and lush and there's plants on plants on plants and it's just, it's, it's huge. It's really big and really immense. That's the best word that I can articulate it as. When we first got there, my wife was suddenly keenly aware that we were out of our element, that we were very far from our home, that we had two little girls, and they were little, two little girls with us, and that the nearest hospital was hours away. And there's like poisonous things and bugs and all this kinds of stuff, and she's going like, oh man, I don't know what to do with all this. She was very nervous. If she was here, she would be like, I wasn't just nervous, I was scared. Like, that's how that was. I, on the other hand, think of what my purpose for going. I wanna feel the ground beneath my feet. We unpacked our bags at the house. I saw people when we were driving along the road, not wearing shoes, and I realized the ground here is soft. It's not the desert, that's amazing. I took off my shoes, I unpacked my stuff, and I was like, I'm gonna go run through the jungle. That's what I said. If you're asking why, because I wanted to feel the ground beneath my feet, and I thought I was the king of the jungle. I know it's weird, but it's what I did. And there was this 12-inch wide path with just stuff all over it. There was, I guess, animals or whoever. And so I just went off running and I ran almost two miles and I was sweaty because it's humid and different. And I was jumping over roots and I was dodging big leaves of things that were bigger than anything I'd ever seen. And I was having an amazing time. And then all of a sudden, something about the size of a medium-sized dog darted into some plants and I froze. And my first question was, friend or foe? Am I okay? Wait, where's the house? And I sat there looking and it disappeared in these plants and I'm keenly aware that thing can see me and I just cannot see it for the life of me. I stared at it, I have no idea. Like, I hope this is okay. And I'm looking and then I look to my left and there's a three foot spider web with a spider like the size of my palm on it. It's not poisonous, I read it in a book, it's okay. It's a huge spider and I was like, that's, Awesome, I know, I have different reactions than some of you guys. That's awesome. And then I look down and I realize there's like mosquitoes on me and there are ants now starting to swarm to like cover my feet because I finally was still long enough for all the ants and things to know that I was there and to start swarming over me. And I, I know, so here, I have to pause really quick. I, I told this story to Seth and Stacy, and they both had this really confused look and they're like, this sounds like hell. That's what they told me, like, this sounds awful. I know, but you have to hear it from my perspective. For me, in that particular moment, there was this beautiful thing that happened where I suddenly was like, I am not, this is, I, I am not the king of the jungle. This is not my domain. This is their domain. This is bigger than me. This is beyond me. This is so powerful. And I was like, this is awesome. That's how I felt. And I know some of us are different, but that is how I felt. I was like, this is awesome. I wanted to share this with you because I think and hang with me here. I think prayer is like that for us. I think so often we end up living our life like we are the king of our jungle. I mean this, like we are it. Like this is all our domain and this is, and we just forget sometimes that we're actually a part of something far bigger, far larger than ourselves. And there's these moments where we come to a full stop and we just pray. 
And I think what I see Jesus doing here is it's, he like, it's like he pulls the whole great big story back into question. God, you are a father. We are your children. God, your name is holy and you're sacred and, and I revere you. And God, may your kingdom come. May your will, meaning you actually have desires that are happening around me that are even beyond sometimes my own desires. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want a taste of what you have here, not just what I'm trying to do and create all the time. There's a moment when we stop to pray, where we recognize we're not the king of the jungle, we're just a guy on a path. And that's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing. And there's a ton of opportunity in that. And there's good things for you. But God is telling a larger story that he's been telling from the beginning of time to the end of time. And you are a part of it. And sometimes when you pause to pray, it pulls you back center to remember, oh my goodness, he's huge. And this isn't my domain, this is his. And there's all kinds of things that he wants to do around me and through me and before me and all these different aspects of my life. And maybe I get to be a part of it here. It becomes a powerful way to center your life. Let prayer be that for you. If you don't know quite how that works or what that means, let me, I want you to think of it this way and I'll close our, our service this way. Some of us go to work every day because it's our job. If I were to ask you like, so why do you go to that job every day? You're like, well, it's a job, I have to. You gotta make money to pay the bills and you gotta do the things. What ends up happening, right, is if I were to ask many of us this, you're like, cause you gotta work. So I go to a job, cause I sort of have to. That's what I do, so it's the grind. It's what I do every single day. But the truth is, truth is your life is a part of a larger story about God bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Your life, my life, our life, each of us, it's a larger story. It's part of a larger story about God bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. What would happen if on your next drive to work, you prayed, God, as I go to work today, I pray that in my workplace, your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you bring a little heaven into earth as I go to step into this workplace? What if you don't just work a job? What if the job you work is an opportunity for Christ to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? It doesn't really matter how monotonous or tiring that piece is. There's opportunity in it. Do you see it? What happened if you prayed it? What happened if you centered yourself in that and opened your eyes to it? I believe, I know God would do good things through that. It's a powerful thing. Some of us go to school or we're taking classes or we have obligations where it's like, I have to do this because if I want the job that I wanna get someday, I have to do the things and get the grades and I have to, it's just what it is. And that's how I do this. Yeah, sure. What would happen if before you went to school, before you stepped into some of those activities or those moments, you found yourself praying, God, as I step into this today, Lord, May your kingdom come, may your will be done. May you bring a little heaven into earth today, on earth as it is in heaven. And I wanna experience that, Lord, I'm trusting you for that. What if you don't just go to school, but what if your school, your classes, your study groups, the different things you're a part of are actually an opportunity to tell the larger story of the unfolding kingdom of God around you? Those are two examples, but the truth is that's true for our relationships. That's true for our families. This is true for the retirement life. This is true for our church. This is true for any aspect, our cities, our towns, the places that we reside. This is happening and true all around you. Let prayer be the thing that pulls you back center and opens your eyes to the powerful story that God is telling around you as he unfolds his domain, his kingdom, because he is the king of kings. And we wanna see the beauty and the good that he has for us continue to unfold. You know, I pray a little differently now. It used to be a thing I did because I had to or because it felt like I was supposed to or stop asking questions and just do the thing. But these days, prayers become a gift that God has for me. I read Exodus two and, or 32 and I realized in some mysterious way, he uses my prayer to create the kind of change 
in the world that he wants to bring about. And so I keep trusting him for things, hoping that he'll do those things, hoping that those good things come to pass. And when I begin to forget that my life is actually a part of a much larger story and my world shrinks down to just what I care about, prayer is the thing that opens me back up and I realize, God, you are good. You've been telling a beautiful story and I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of it. Let it keep unfolding. I wanna see more. I wanna see more of this thing. And it's powerful in my life. Friends, the kingdom of God is among you. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Let prayer pull you center so that it can unfold around you. And I'm so excited, like I always am, to continue to see the beautiful thing that God does in us, through us, and around us as we bring a little heaven to earth. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and for those of us that maybe have grown silent in prayer, because we don't know what to do with it, or we're confused about it, Lord, I pray that you help us find our voice today. I pray that you help us open ourselves back up to whatever that is. Lord, if some of us are hurt or confused by prayers that have gone unanswered, I pray that you give us courage. And I pray that you give us peace about your sometimes that you answer these things to enact change in the world and let us hope in that, Father. God, I pray, Lord, for each of us that are in here that find ourselves a little off center where our world has shrunk, open us back up. Give us the eyes and the heart and the cares and all of it, Lord, partnering with you to tell the larger story that you're a part of. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon.